three years, five continents, one motorcycle. A quest for culture, cuisine, and connection with Alan Carl on Kelly Bagla's Go Legal Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. This show is about knowing the legal life cycle of your business. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. I'm your host and legal friend, attorney Kelly Bagler, also known as the queen of business law. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Alan Carl. Alan is a keynote speaker. He's also the author of a best-selling book called Forks. Alan has never been able to sit still. That's one thing Alan and I have in common. And he has explored over 80 countries. That's right. You heard me correctly. 80 countries, photographing, writing, and blogging about them along the way. But the incredible story of Alan didn't start just three years ago. It started when he actually became an entrepreneur and he had a marketing company, which uh, was sold. But Alan's story is pretty inspiring and he has changed lives throughout his travels and through his public speaking. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. Hey, Kelly. So good to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. It's incredible to have you. Wow. What a pleasure for everyone that's listening to this. What a pleasure. You, Your website is WorldRider. WorldRider.com. Yeah. WorldRider.com. But before you share your fantastic story, do you have a joke or a quote to share with us? There's a couple things that come to mind. Um, you know, first of all, I know a, a good friend, uh, actually as a lawyer, as well. And um, he was taking a flight from DC to San Francisco uh, to depot a client there. And unfortunately, the airline misplaced his luggage. So he decided to sue the, the airline, believe it or not, but he lost his case. You know? <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that one. That's, that's clever. That's clever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know how a, um, a lawyer sleeps, don't you? Right? Because you're, you're a lawyer, right? Absolutely. We lie on one side, then we lie on the other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you knew that one. That's one Very of my favorites. Good. Yes. Yes, this, this, is, this is a good one. This is a good one. And then the last one was, uh, my brother's an attorney as well. So actually, my, my younger brother, my oldest brother is an attorney, my younger brother's an attorney. And when my Younger brother graduated undergrad, you know, he called me up and we chat and what are you going to do? What, you, what, what, what do you want to do with your life? And he's like, I'm thinking of going to law school. And I looked at him with weird eyes like, now why would you want to do that? And he says, to become a lawyer. And I said, well, I said, well, wait a minute. Don't forget, our oldest brother's a lawyer. Do you want to end up like him? He's like, oh, okay, you're right. Let's go. I'm going to I'm going to go study economics. Uh, Did you just talk so, him out of it? <laughs> yes, I talked him out of it. But the but the difference is and you'll know this one, the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer. I mean, uh, a, a good lawyer and a great lawyer, I guess is what I should say. Is a good lawyer does know the law, but a great lawyer knows the judges. <laughs> there we go. We're in. There We're we in. go. I always say, Alan, be, behind a good businessman is usually a great woman. Behind a great woman is a fantastic lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And and also behind a great businessman sometimes is oh, there a you great go. cat who just just tail just brushed by the camera here. Oh, there it goes again. That's fantastic. That's <laughs> That's, love, love That's the Dar. Animal. 
Dar is a feline little uh, Bengal cat that showed up here at my little cottage here in Encinitas about, in fact, it was in the midst of me just finishing up my book Forks. She kept showing up before long, you know, I was letting her in, giving her treats and, um, you know, I put signs up and nobody, nobody claimed this gorgeous, beautiful cat. And uh, she and I have been together ever since. Wonderful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. But yeah. let's get into your story, Alan. What an incredible inspiration you are, right? You have inspired audiences overcome challenges. It's just saying those words, you know, I'm just sort of itching to get into your story. But three years, five continents, 80 countries on one motorcycle. It's, it's an excellent story. You know, a lot of times people come up to me and say, oh, Alan, I can't believe it. I wish I could do what you do. And I'm like, you can. It's, it's, right. <laughs> it, it's, it's the decision. It's making the, you know, the choice and deciding is really the hardest part. And people get in the way of themselves when it comes to, um, they sometimes are their own biggest obstacle to success or achieving whatever it is they want to achieve. And once you learn that and you learn how to get out of your way, your own way, you can then excel and summit massive peak mountains of whatever that is, whatever your mountain peak is. For me, uh, as you said, you know, I, I ran a, a, a digital marketing branding agency for many years, and then I decided to kind of grow it. We grew it through uh, doing kind of a roll-up consolidation model by acquiring other companies, uh, but using our own uh, equity as our currency. So we weren't expending money to buy companies. We were just saying, they're going to make a bigger pie and everybody gets a piece of a bigger pie. And this grew up, you know, over about 18 months, we acquired 13 companies. You know, this happened uh, at the turn of the millennium when we had the big dot-com crash and we were servicing all those dot-com kind of companies. So soon we were burning money. Our clients were going belly up and we needed more money. And somehow, amazingly, Kelly, we were able to convince a private equity firm to invest 20 million bucks into the company. And they were like most private equity firms. You know, oh, don't worry. You guys run your business. Everything's going to be fine. You guys know what you're doing. We're just there. And by the way, you're going to stop using your own equity for currency. We are giving you this money, not for operating uh, uh, money, not for uh, running the business. This $20 million is used because we're going to continue your strategy and acquire more companies and continue to build this national network of, uh, of agencies. And you will appreciate this because uh, you will be able to keep more of that um, you know, percentage of that company. So that was all fine and good. Until about September 10th, 11th, and 12th in 2001, when the private equity team decided to call all of the principals of all these different companies we acquired over the years for a meeting in Las Vegas there at the Hard Rock Hotel. I had a meeting. I was on the board of managers. We were in LLC. You know, we can get into a little, you know, legal. You, you know, uh, I was on the board of managers with one of my other partners. We had a meeting with the two heads who are also from the equity firm were on the board of managers and they started laying out what was a bit of different strategy than we had been using over the, over the past few years in building our company. And I went to bed that night with a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, I just felt like, I don't know if that's the right strategy. And I wake up in the morning and my other partner's banging on the door. Uh, you know, we had been out, you know, out partying a bit. So, you know, I was taking a little snooze in and he's like, turn on your TV, turn on your TV. And the planes were crashing into the buildings there. Oh. And uh, this was 9-11. So I continued, we continued to have the meeting through that un under this really 
dull undertone of, of, uh, uh, and in Vegas, you know, golf games and out to dinner and, you know, the usual stuff you do in Vegas. And when I finally got home, I just thought about it. And you know, think Kelly, as I founded, you know, I was the co-founder of this company. This was, I named it, I branded it. And I sat at my computer and I wrote my resignation letter. Yes. Shortly after that, I got a letter from not the private equity people, but from their attorneys. Yes. <laughs> and they were, they were going to sue me for breach of contract. And uh, of course I had to uh, lawyer up as it were. And, um, you know, we went through that whole dance for a while and, um, you know, they, they really didn't have a case, but I, I did what I usually only knew how to do Kelly, like you, I was an entrepreneur. So I started another company right after that doing the same kinds of things, but now with a smaller, I could get more involved. I wasn't so involved in, in managing a, a, a growing organization from the top. Now I was getting my hands dirty again and doing the work I love to do at the time, which is helping companies market themselves, brand themselves message. And uh, it wasn't long one day I walked into my garage and um, I saw my motorcycle sitting there and it was really dusty, Kelly. And I thought to myself, you know, this motorcycle's getting less miles than me just sitting here turning out, you know, I mean, doing good work, but it wasn't fulfilling mm -hmm. at that point. So I had been reading a book by a guy named Neil Peart. He's a Canadian. He's a rock and roll musician top of the charts made, you know, with the band he was in, he made tons of money. He had fame, fortune, everything. But in a period of a year, he lost his 17 year old daughter in a car accident and his wife to cancer. And he, this book he wrote was called ghost rider. And he decided that he was felt that his whole soul had been ripped out of him. He was just now a empty shell of a human because everything that was important, forget the rock and roll, forget the groupies, forget the money. You, you lose your kid and your, and your, your wife. So he decided that he needed to settle his soul and hop on a motorcycle. And he traveled all over North America, Canada, all the way down to Mexico, to Panama. And it was at that moment standing there thinking, I'd just been reading this book. And I said, I didn't even know you could do that. Ride a bike to, <laughs> to Panama. Right, right. Exactly. Wow. So I, I started planning and putting it together. And the next thing I know, I've got a plan to travel around the world. And really, I, it, you know, it's a, it's that decision that you make as we come full circle to how we got into the conversation is anybody can do what I do. Anybody can do what you do, but you have to choose. That's what you want to do. And for me, that's what I wanted to do. And as a writer, as a photographer, as a creative person, I knew that I would find stories and people and good food and good wine around the world that I would have plenty to be inspired by, to write about, to photograph. And ultimately, when I finished the first leg of that whole trip, which was three years by myself, you know, I returned to the, to the country and I began speaking and telling stories that helped people, as you said, overcome their fears, move obstacles out of their way to embrace rather than be afraid of change in their lives and their businesses. Then came the book, Forks, which is not just a you know, a story, a travel story. It's actually a coffee table book. You know, it's a, it's got photographs and every country has a recipe. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So you, you can travel the world through my book. You can see it through the photos I took. You can feel it through the stories I share through my uh, connection with people and culture, and you can taste it through that food. So wow. that's it. Alan, the mind is such an incredible piece of ingenuity. 
5K. There's no way that we were just kind of put together, you know, through through a swamp creature. This is just my belief. And, and this is what I believe. And everyone has their own beliefs that that's perfectly fine. But it's the connections. It's how you actually live life on purpose, right? You have to live life on purpose. You can't keep going through every single day, waking up and not knowing what your purpose is. Everyone is born with a purpose. And if you can discover what that purpose is, you've just solved your mystery of why you were born, why you were born. The, the mind, it's incredible how you can train it. You can train it to be positive all the time. You can train it to be negative all the time. And that's how you get people that are depressed, borderline suicidal. They, they don't see anything in front of them, which is extremely heartbreaking. But as human beings, we all all have to grow. If we don't grow, our spirit dies. But for you to make that decision, it takes pearls, right? I use that word throughout the podcast in my books too. It truly takes pearls. But what was that deciding factor for you from an entrepreneur, you know, running a multi-million dollar company to all of a sudden resigning and saying, I want to take off with my motorcycle. And besides, you have a name for the motorcycle, don't you? That's right. My motorcycle is Doc. Doc, yes. yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> what was that, that, that deciding factor for you? You know, the, the one thing is I look around me at my peers and the people that I admire. And I found that all of these kinds of people would say to themselves, you know, I really, who doesn't love to travel? And I, I heard it over and over again. It's like, you know, I would love to just take off and travel the world. But, you know, they never do it. Right. They never do it. They, they might take a week and go dip their toes in the sand and have a umbrella drink in their hand and sit on a beach for seven days. That's that. That's not travel. That's not experiencing the world. You don't embrace culture and, and, and things like this. So, so to me, it was, you know what? I had this cult life-changing event, you know, a company that I had started. It's like a baby. And I now was out and I said, you know what? If there is a chance, if there is any opportunity for me to just go and see the world. Because I always, you know, when I, I was married at, at a time and, and during all this, me and my uh, ex-wife decided to split up very amicably, by the way, uh, without lawyers. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I had this, this, this moment in my life that, I, that if I could do it, this is when I need to do it. You know, some friends of mine made fun of me and said, you're just taking the extreme route through a midlife crisis. But no, it wasn't that. It was, it was a conscious, as you said, there was a decision. It, it was purposeful because I had in my mind, I knew I'd find stories. I knew there would be lessons. And I knew that my purpose in my life was to share the beauty of the world, embrace its diversity. And really by traveling the way I do and why a lot of people do, you definitely broaden your perspective in the way you see the world and yourself, and you expand your worldview. Too, too, mono, too many of us have that tunnel vision, and, and in order to really see that. So, so it was purposeful, and I just said, people talk about it, but don't do it. I'm going to do it and show them that they can. I can probably make an educated guess here, Alan, and say that you don't know 80 different languages. <laughs> Am I correct? See, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or or Hanji, right? Hanji, yeah, in Hindi, Hanji, yes. Hanji in Hindi, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. In in Russian or in 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 the, in the Slavic languages, da, da, da. da. Yeah. Throughout your travels and visiting different countries and different people and experiencing their culture, 
What was that one connection that you felt throughout your travels with different people? It, it, it truly is about people. And when we talk about overcoming obstacles, you bring up a very good point when you ask if I know 80 languages. And, and certainly I know a handful of languages and some phrases. I, as you travel the world, part of those obstacles are how do you communicate when, when you can't? As the uh, people who speak the Arabic language, you know, will say, inshallah, you know, God willing, you know, yeah. you will figure it out. And that's, that's essentially one thing you learn is how to overcome language, how to find a deeper connection with those people. And people ask me if I brought a weapon with me. You know, did I carry a knife? Did I carry a gun? You know, uh, because because it's the world's a dangerous place, they would say, <laughs> you know, ah, the world's a friendly place. Sure, there's pockets of danger. Don't, you know, don't, I don't, row, you know, cover it with, row, look at it with rose lenses, but certainly that is. And I, and I said, you know, this was asked to me when I was speaking to a big crowd in, um, in North Platte, Nebraska, of all places. And it was after I'd done a speech, you know, did you bring a weapon? And I thought about it. And for a long time, I was silent. And then I realized, ah, you know what? I did. And it comes to what you're saying, you know, how do you bridge the language? How do you find that connection? And I said, you know, my weapon that I brought with me doesn't cost anything. You don't need to be trained to use it. And in fact, you already know how to use it. And that is the smile. And the smile we all have is so disarming to anyone, even somebody you might think is bad. So, so to really connect, how can we get there? Is if we just smile at each other, you know, walking down the street, busy Manhattan craziness, rushing and bustling about to get to their job, to the wherever they're going, you just smile. And you know what? It all of a sudden brings you down to a, to a different baseline where you can begin to connect. Something as simple as a smile. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought, Alan? Mm -hmm. Out of this experience, this, this incredible experience, and out of all of the 80 countries that you've traveled, share with us some of the, share with us a, a challenge that you personally overcame, and then share with us a lesson that you learned. So I had been traveling, um, I had shipped my motorcycle from South America to Africa, to Cape Town, wonderful city of Cape Town, South Africa. And, um, and after traveling around South, uh, South Africa, Lesotho, you know, the enclave island kind of nation there, I had it started heading north. My route was going to follow the Rift Valley and then the route of the uh, Amazon, I mean, rather the Nile River. All along, people were very curious because here's this guy dressed in what looks like a, you know, space suit, you know, because I got my motorcycle suit and the helmet <laughs> and, you know, and people are saying, yeah, what are you doing? And I'd meet a lot of travelers, backpackers. I'd meet people five-starring it in hotels. I'd meet people of all walks of life, locals as well. But the travelers I met, you know, when I told them, yeah, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go to um, Rwanda go in, and then to Uganda into Kenya. Then I'm going to go north through Kenya to Ethiopia, across uh, Lake Nasser to Egypt, cross the Sinai and the Red Sea to Jordan and then uh, Israel and then into Syria. And they laughed at me. Said, you can't go to Syria. You know what? Syrian people won't let you in because you've got to go. And, and I'm like, you know, one thing you, you, you don't say to Alan, as I'm sure you don't say to Kelly, you can't do something. Right. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, I looked at this as a, as a challenge. And I traveled, did that whole route, had a great time. And there I ended up sitting at the border between Jordan and Syria. And I go up and there's, um, it's customs and immigration. It's a dusty old little 
it's not, it's a, it's a settlement. There's really a, uh, a handful of buildings. And then there's this one kind of looks like a mobile building that they may be made permanent. And you walk in there and there's this glass line, uh, uh, a counter in this glass with people bustling around and, and little windows like this. And you got to go under there and talk and, you know, everybody talks Arabic, but uh, after a, after a few hours, they, they found a guy who spoke a couple words of English and I shoved my passport, my bike information on there. And I, I say, yeah, going to Syria and he pushed it back under there he said and the guy was really mean looking too he had a scar in his yeah. face right here and I said I pushed it back under I says no please shalom shalom you know please you know <laughs> um, did you smile uh, oh I was smiling like you can't imagine man and, and then finally he goes back he finds somebody there and he and he say he sends puts a piece of paper a little piece of paper like this under there and it's got the website the web address for the syrian embassy and consulate in washington dc so it turns out that really if you wanted to go into syria the bureaucratic minutiae that the syrian government says you apply for your visa at the embassy in your home country but the problem with that kelly is that the visas are only valid for six months and I've been on the road at this point over two years. So if I had even, and, and, and they, you have to tell them when you're going to come. And then even then, you only have 90 days to be within the country. So I had no idea. How am I going to get a, a visa? And now I'm over here with no internet access and a website address for the Syrian government. So I said to myself, well, I guess those travelers were right. I'm not going to really get in. But then I thought to myself, I looked at my motorcycle, and there's a whole bunch of guys, you know, in these long robes and those hats. Uh, I forget what you call those, but uh, they're all looking. And there was a group from Saudi Arabia, uh, three guys, young guys. And they said, oh, you come with us. We'll get you into Saudi Arabia. You come with us, Mr. Allen. And I'm uh, like, well, that's, that's good. Saudi Arabia wasn't really on my list. I mean, it'd be cool. I'd do it. But So what I did, Kelly, is I took out my tent. I set up my tent right in front of the border in the Immigration Customs Office and stayed there, you know, a little bit in the way. And, uh, yes. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I did about my thing. I started reading a bit, you know, and people are walking by big, it's a big, lots of trucks coming through. So you have a lot of these, you know, these truckers who are, you know, doing commerce between Jordan and Syria and the rest of the Middle East there. I'm, I mean, I'm at the confluence. I saw a sign that says Saudi Arabia this way, Iraq that way, Syria this way. I mean, I'm right there in, in the heart of this thing. So there I am. I spend the night there and I wake up the next morning and I go back up there and there's a new guy, no scar, uh, but not really friendly. So here I am smiling and he says the same thing. No. So I go back out there and I'm hanging out and I'm creating a quite a scene because people all want to know who is this guy. I'm the only white guy anywhere in the hundred miles because if anybody is going to Syria and this is about a year and a half before really the hell broke loose there. If anybody is going from Syria from a Western country, they're going through an airport. Nobody goes over land from Jordan there. So I'm in my tent. He says no. And I, this goes on for nearly 24 hours. And then finally I, I get up there and there's, it's another, you know, change of the guard. And he says, hold on. And he gets on the phone. He says, I called Damascus. I called Damascus, you know, the capital of Syria. And within about five or six hours after that, I've been there now about 22 hours with a lot of pomp and circumstances and a lot of stamps. He hands me my visa. So <laughs> I, um, the crazy part about that is, is I pull up to the, to the checkpoint now and it's a big, long iron bar, you know, with a counterweight and it's down. 
And there's a guy with an AK-47, two guys with AK-47s. Normally, they're asking for the documents and they're, they're waving me. Go, go over there. No, you can't come through. No, 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 no. I'm like, no, look, I got lots of stamps. They go, no, 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 no. You go over there. There's a truck behind me. He's honking his horn. And I'm like, no. He says, the gun mm-hmm. over there. He says, mm-hmm. the chief inspector wants to see you. I'm thinking the guy in the immigration office is going to get in trouble. and They're not really supposed to let me through. So I sit there and I wait for the chief inspector. My motorcycle parked on the side of the road. And a few minutes later, the chief inspector and another guy walk down the steps and he's carrying a tray. And on it are three cups of tea. And Annie, <laughs> I was going to say, and wow. And wow. he says, he says, and pardon for the bad impression. I can't really do accents, but he says, Mr. Allen, Mr. Allen, ah, before you go, we must have shy, shy. <laughs> we must have shy. Tell me about your travel, your country. And then Kelly, he, we're sitting there sipping the chai, the tea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he draws an outline, like it's a dirt. It's a, he, he gets a stick and he draws an outline of the shape of si- Syria. And he starts putting dots. He says, you go here, Palmyra. You go here, Aleppo. You go here, Chevalier. And, uh, and he's, he's sitting there giving me, a, giving me tourist tips for the country. That's and amazing. I get, yeah. So the lesson there is, and it's a very important thing to know when you are a traveler or you're in business, is if you don't have patience, you won't see the possibilities. I saw that if I just hung out there, there's a possibility I'm going to convince somebody to let me in that country. So patience leads to seeing and realizing all the possibilities, even an inspector general giving you tips to go (laughs) in that country. The travel tips. Wow. Wow. That's that's a huge lesson. There is a picture of, uh, of us sitting there sipping the tea in the book too, by the way. <laughs> yes. and, and anyone can get your book on Amazon, would you say? Yes. Yep. It's on Amazon. For, forks. Look, you know, if you just Google forks or if you just put forks in the search, you will literally get forks. But you, you put in forks, Allen, or forks, culture, then you'll get it. You'll get my book. It'll pop right up. That's it. Well, I'm still waiting for my signed copy from you. I know, I know. You know, I do have um, this book, <laughs> by the way, and I've been studying up. You know, I yeah. Uh, yeah. I still have a lot to learn. So yes, and and don't leave and, on and, yourself, book. And and this is signed too. So I am um, I am grateful to have that copy. And uh, yeah, you and I will be will be uh, will be dining again, telling stories, and you will have a copy of Forks. Um, Absolutely, because I think you're going to get really psyched up about some of these recipes too. Well, there you go. And you're talking to someone that doesn't enjoy cooking. I have to cook because we have to eat. (laughs) And anything that's simple is perfect. Being from an Indian descent, right? Uh, Being Punjabi, Alan, uh, we are taught from a young age, you know, we help mom in the kitchen, but we're taught how to make all these different dishes, curries and what have you. And I know how to make dishes. I just don't enjoy it. I just don't like to spend time in the kitchen. My greatest work is in the office. <laughs> there you go. Right. So, and, and, and one other room in the house, but I won't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I'm, and this, this is a good thing. You, you know where you're supposed to be. You know where yeah, you I like know, to be. I know my strengths. Exactly. I know my yeah. strengths. But through your travels, Alan, out of the 80 countries, which one would you say was your absolutely most favorite place that blew you away and why? 
I really have three places that I really were, you know, I, 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 I'd almost have to roll the dice to pick one of them. And I'll, and I'll share you those because I think it's important to see my thinking and also how you can look at your own travel sometimes. So the first one is Argentina. And I tell people like if somehow we here were unable to live, let's say we got uh, somebody dropped a, a nuclear bomb on, on the USA and we all had to flee, I would go choose to live in Argentina because Argentina has this unique blend of, particularly in Buenos Aires, which is a great city, of Latin and European culture. So there's this neat kind of thing within the food, within the people. It's also a country that's very diverse in terms of geography. You've got the Alpine Andean Mountains. You have Red Rock Deserts. There's two oceans. There's the jungle up in the um, northeastern part of the country. So there's something for everybody. So you can, and it's, and it's large. It's one of the larger countries in South America. And the beautiful region of Mendoza, they make fantastic wine. And you know how I love wine. So, so Argentina really, and it really was so fun. And, and, and I, in a, the very most Southern part where you can drive in the world on a motorcycle or a car is a place called uh, Tierra del Fuego. After Ushuaia, it's a boat ride in Antarctica. I mean, that's where you are. So I got to that bottom part of that country, southernmost point. So Argentina. Now, the second one is Ethiopia. And the reason is Ethiopia, first of all, the people are beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. they've got this kind of the, the color of their skin is like chocolate milk. You know, it's very kind of light brown and they are super friendly and they've retained their culture because it's probably the only country in all of Africa that never was colonized, you know, because the, the, the Portuguese, the Germans, the Dutch, you know, all the British all colonized that. Now, the Italians occupied Ethiopia for about a year and a half during World War II, but that was more of an occupation, not a colonization. So that, that, that is a neat country and the Nile River runs through it. There is, you know, several UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Uh, Addis Ababa, the capital city is, it's chaotic. It's crazy. You, you know, if you go there, you'd probably be crazy. And some of the best coffee, by the way, in the world. Um, well, is, I, is I have to go. I'm, I, I just, I can't start my day without coffee. In fact, before I met uh, my husband, <laughs> exactly. I see you drinking yes, something yes. right now. <laughs> And I used to drink a cup of coffee at nighttime because it used to relax me. But yes, definitely, I would love to at some point um, get there. What, what an experience. Alan, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? Pack less. <laughs> Pack less? <laughs> I can't even yes. imagine. For three years on the road, on dock, right, a motorcycle, yeah. Well, well, where did you put your shoes? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you wear motorcycle boots. You need shoes. It's it's funny. I would uh, I had this little sack, and um, I, I carried these. Uh, what are they? The Teva, Teva. You know, they're kind of half sandal, half, and they're good if you, you can wear them into the water. So if they do, they get a little bit wet. So I would, you know, if I was, you know, wandering in a riverbed or whatever, and the shoes would get wet, I'd strap them on the top of my uh, on the on the bike. You have these 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 aluminum panniers, you know. Yeah. And on top of them, so they would dry out, you know, <laughs> there. Yeah, I, I think what I do is I pack um, less. And I also particularly, I learned this because three years is a long time. And I, and I take this approach now. I, at the beginning of the trip, I was moving too fast. I wasn't taking time to enjoy it. You know, I was blogging. I wrote, you know, worldwide. You can go all the way back to my first, you know, I went all the way to Alaska, by the way, first, kind of as a dry run just to make sure everything's good. So I went all the way to the Arctic Ocean 
in the, in the northernmost part of um, Alaska where you can drive. And somewhere as I was traveling south in Mexico, I got an email or a comment on the blog and it says, Alan, it just seems like you're in such a rush. Why? And I was for a while. And I, you know, and as you, as you learn, you know, this is my own personal lesson is you need to slow down sometime, uh, whether you use the cliche adage of smelling the roses or just, you know, taking time to check in with yourself is why are you doing this? You know, I, I don't like this notion of bucket lists that people talk about. Oh, that's on my bucket list. I'm not here to check things off a list. I'm here to live and experience. And, and that's, I think, um, a lesson. So pack lighter and, uh, and take your time. It's amazing how you'll see different opportunities. And this can be anyone. It can be from a business perspective. It can be someone that's trying to find out who they are and they're on this quest. You've heard stories about people dropping everything and running somewhere else just to find out who they are. But when you actually slow down, take the blinders off and look around you. Can't, uh, you know, Alan, I was, I was one of those like, go, go, go people. You know, I've got so many creative things going on. I want to do this and I want to do that. And, and then I got dogs and <laughs> my dogs taught me how to slow down. They see? were exactly amazing. And then I, now I see all these beautiful flowers that they sniff and pee on, but I get <laughs> to enjoy the different types of flowers I really enjoy the sunrises and the sunsets. Incredible. Before I had these blinders on. And did you know the color of the sky sometimes turns purpley, pinkish, orange? And people miss out on that, right? So yes, absolutely. Slow down. Take a look around because you will miss opportunities in anything that you're doing. And you should be chasing each and every opportunity because you never know what that is. It's always a gift, right? But you never know until you find it and unwrap it. Yes. Yeah, so if you slow down and in a motorcycle, we use them, but you know, we use the metaphor of downshifting, you know, or in an automobile, like you're, you're going into a corner, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you, you have to slow down, right? And then you come out of it, you can speed up, but going into that corner, you downshift and then coming out of it, you know, you take it and then you accelerate. So that moment of, of uh, reflection, if you will, the yeah. flowers, the pink, orange, purple sky, all helps you see possibilities as we were talking about before. And I love that you say you took your, you know, help you take your blinders off. I often say that, you know, we in, in a motorcycle or a race car, you wear a helmet with a, with a visor that you need to open up sometimes. Yeah. And that's the equivalent of, of, of uh, you said, take off your blinders and look around. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. Um, and that's exactly what you did for three years. Wow. So in your best-selling book, Forks, that anyone can get from Amazon or directly they can go to your website, worldrider.com. And That's we will right. have all of your information as part of our show notes. Your, your story, it's laid out in the book, where you started from, why you decided to do this, what countries you visited, the experiences that you, you, you saw, the challenges that you uh, overcame. And being such a an incredible public speaker, a keynote speaker, and, and teaching others how to overcome challenges. What a great purpose. You've definitely found your purpose. Yeah, thank you. I hope to, to inspire people to, to be their greater selves. And um, what they may see in front of them as, a, as an obstacle, I always like to say, I'll help you look at it as an opportunity. There you go. Now you're just stealing my words. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, I do have the book, you know. Well, there I mean. you go. <laughs> exactly. And I know, I know that there's another chapter in your life. I know you'll be traveling somewhere else and writing, you know, a few more books. I, I know that. Um, you, you've you also been on TV, right? The Travel Channel, was it? Yep. And yep. What, what an amazing story, Alan. It's such a pleasure having you on the show. It's, it's, it's a real pleasure to, to share some of my stories, but also to, you know, it's, it's like anything, you know, when you speak, you feed with the audience, right? I mean, when you're a musician, you're going to have a much better uh, performance if the audience and you are connected and having uh, you as my interviewer, if you will, or just this, it's not even an interview. This is like a chat. Um, just having a chat, a casual yeah. chat. <laughs> so, so to have you there with your energy, that makes this so much more fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I really do love having chats you know, with, with, with my guests and I've had a litany of very interesting guests and you fall right to the top, I have to say, <laughs> Alan. I, I don't show favorites, you know, but this is a secret between you and I. <laughs> okay. Well, I, 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 I like it. Thank you. Of course. And we, and we won't share that with David Hatfield. <laughs> no, no, no. David. He won't know. He won't know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and is there anything else you'd like to share, some inspirational words before we have to say until next time? Yeah, I, I guess the I, I would say uh, one of the things that's most important we all could just remind ourselves to do is the importance of being open and being open right away because they open to possibilities. That's, that's so important. So if wherever it is you want to grow your business, you want to um, get deeper into your relationship, uh, you want to... Um, learn something new. You need to be open. And the way that you, you are open is be open to new food, be open to new languages, listen, mm -hmm. and, and, and be open to the possibilities that you will find in your life. And if you are close-minded, you're going to just be that, as I said at the very beginning of this, you're going to be in your way and you won't really be able to achieve and find your purpose. So open yourself up and let that life in and you will grow. You, you came full circle, Alan. Beautiful words, inspirational words. And it truly is up to the individuals to take control over their life and find their purpose. You are absolutely inspiring. Alan Carl, the world rider. And <laughs> at some point when you do go on your next travels or write your next book, I'm having you back on the show. Okay, deal. Deal. Love Pinky it. swear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be on the World Rider podcast, by the way. Oh, looking forward I, to I, it. I, I, want to, I want to switch this around. <laughs> looking forward uh, to it. As we say, touche. <laughs> touche, touche. And anyone that is out there listening, I definitely highly, highly recommend check out worldrider.com. You don't want to miss the photos and the stories that Alan has spoken about in his book, Forks. And open yourself up to different cultures and different cuisines and actually connecting. Connection, right? That's what humans do, connect. And talking about connecting, do feel free to download our app from your app stores. It is called Go Legal Yourself. You can connect with me through the app. You can leave us comments. You can even actually connect with any of our guests through the app. And I know you want to connect with Alan. I, I know that for a fact. And definitely do go to golegalyourselfpodcast.com. Well, I am Attorney Kelly Bagler, the Queen of Business Law. And I am wishing you the opportunities to go out and find out who you are and see the world around you.
Until next time, cheers to your success. If you're looking to start a podcast on your own, use the coupon code WHATHAS at checkout and receive a free month of media hosting from our recommended hosting company, Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. This podcast was produced by Imagine Podcasting, and we help businesses eliminate competition by elevating their brand message to be heard. Visit ImaginePodcasting.com for more information.